This is a Founding Media podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Founding Austin's Up and Comers, a podcast about Austin's vibrant innovation sector and exciting startup boom. I'm your host, Heather Wagner-Reed. So we're continuing our show this week with a fascinating interview with John Higley and Stefan Schuster of EQO Life. They have a startup that just completed and won a major cash prize from the Mass Challenge Texas Accelerator Program. We totally geeked out in this interview. We talked about how their cutting-edge technology works and how they monitor aquatic invasive species to protect our water resources. It's a huge issue. We recorded this interview live during South by Southwest this year at the Long Center. So let's jump in and hear more from John and Stefan. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode of Up and Comers here with Founding Austin Magazine. My name's Heather, I'm your host, and we're gonna get into a really cool startup story coming out of Austin, Texas. We're down at the Long Center this morning, smack in the middle of South by Southwest. It's a really exciting time here in the city. And before we start, I just wanna thank Richard's Rainwater and Brain Juice. We're, we're drinking this this morning too. Brain Juice for their support of our episode this morning. So, welcome to my two guests. Um, John Higley and Stefan Schuster. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today because I've had the pleasure of getting to know these guys recently and hearing their startup story. And it is really a disruptive, innovative concept that is so good that we just had to have them on today. So awesome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So their company is called EQO, and I'm going to let them tell you a little bit more about it. Um, why don't you Why don't you start, John? Sure. Um, yeah. So EQO or Eco, um, we started probably around 2016. I first started doing the research for it. Uh, we help water resources with aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels that have been plaguing Austin uh, by using next generation genetic technologies. My background is in uh, mostly cancer research. I'm a molecular biologist. I did a lot of uh, early stage cancer diagnostic platforms, microbiome analytics to an extent, and biopharmaceutical development. And so we're essentially leveraging those technologies to help the environment. So we do um, really early stage detection so we can do prevention, but we also do risk management, mitigation, things like that. So there's certain technologies that we employ that are not currently on the market from other companies. And so we can determine things like, are they alive or are they dead, which seems simple, but it's not something that can be determined right now except for by us. But we can also look at how they're responding to treatment. So if they're experiencing stress early on, later on stress, this allows you to kind of make better mitigation decisions. Also, you know, predicting spawning, things like that. But the technology is not limited to zebra mussels. We can also leverage it for endangered species protection or really any invasive species um, or endangered species. Uh, The idea is to create long-term, sustainable, biodiverse ecosystems and water supplies Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the country and around the world. Um, And that's kind of the mission. Wonderful. Um, So I I know that many Austinites know about the muscle issue that happened here a few weeks ago. 
maybe Stefan, do you want to talk a little bit more about what happened and sure. why this is an issue or a potential ep epidemic? Absolutely. Um, and so I met John three years ago at a conference and heard him speak about his technology and my background is in uh, water resources and supply. And so I immediately knew that our water suppliers in Texas are facing a big issue in regards to the zebra mussels because of the impact that it has on uh, how much power we use, um, how the water quality is affected in the lakes. And so if you've been using the Highland Lakes over the last two, three years, you've started to see the lakes are getting clear, the water quality is changing, and that has a big impact on how our water comes to us. And mm -hmm. so um, what happened with the city of Austin is something that could have actually been prevented with our technology because we would have been able to detect the problem before they turned the pipe back on. Right. Uh, and so what happened was they, uh, they turned a pipe off let it dry out, basically turned it back on without knowing that it was totally covered with zebra mussels on the inside. So we watched a bunch of dead organic material into our drinking water. It's so um, there, that will happen to other water suppliers in the area, and so we're trying to prevent that. Wow. I think as a normal citizen in Austin, you know, these are things you just don't even think about or anticipate that's until right. it happens. That's right. So, um, you know, that's just something that's so fascinating to know that behind the scenes, this type of science is actually, you know, uh, well, your science being brand new, but this this type of issue is going on. Absolutely, and it's coming right out here out of Austin. That's what I think is really exciting is that we're we're starting here in Austin, and it's a problem that's that's very much developing here in Austin for our for our city and our regional water supplier. So we're pre, you know we're preventing or we're presenting a solution at a time where everybody's looking for one. So the timing couldn't be better. Wow. Yeah, and and you guys were all over the news when when that happened. Exactly. So you're basically. Uh, thought leaders on the issue, I, I think, right now. So this is not something that's obviously just happening. Austin's a global issue. Um, I'm curious about, you know, how this could work with governments around the world, I guess, you know, for that matter. Yeah, so obviously the zebra and quagga mussel problem is a big issue here in the U.S., also in Canada, also in Western Europe. Um, and there are additional invasive species all over the world. I mean, as you know, as people have expanded, they move around, shipping, things like that. Invasive species get moved from place to place. And the concern is, you know, what may be a normal native species in one environment is invasive and can take over and change an environment where they show up. And it seems kind of like, well, what's wrong with a little, a couple extra species? Problem is that they take over the environment to an extent that um, it makes the environment a lot less biodiverse. And in biology, basically diversity is a, the best way to have a sustainable ecosystem. The more diversity you have, the more it's able to respond to pressures. So governments around the world are, are impacted by this. Um, the State Department is, uh, has, there are treaties around this that the State Department has to get involved in. So it's really a global issue and our technology can be applied pretty much everywhere, and especially as we're, as we become a more interconnected society and as global warming changes, mm -hmm. um, uh, migration patterns and things like that, we're only going to see increased issues with invasive species and loss of habitat and, um, and usable drinking water if we don't act now. So <clears throat> I'd like to talk more about the technology. So how does it work? Sure. What is the concept? Um, is this something that, you know, the 
I guess the if, let's say I want to have it in my backyard. Is that even possible? It sure is. I mean, it'll be a little pricey for an individual <laughs> citizen to have it in their backyard. But essentially, we have kind of an automated sampling platform. Mm -hmm. So it's a um, it gets installed at a point of critical infrastructure, like a dam, or at a point of most likely entry. So dams and marinas. These things, uh, zebra mussels travel mostly by and invasive species in general travel largely by recreational boaters. So clean, drain, dry, all that kind of stuff. Um, so this platform goes in, it's got a series of these, what we call sample collectors that essentially concentrate biological samples over a series of filters. And then we have a special proprietary buffer that goes in and stops the degradation of any DNA and RNA, which are the kind of what we're going to be measuring in the lab. So that kind of preserves it or kind of pickles it and keeps it in the state. So it allows us to kind of take a snapshot of what's going on at that moment. And then the person who operates it or, you know, whatever, wherever it is, all they have to do is swap out sample packs and ship mm -hmm. it back forth through the lab. So we're constantly sending them updates about what's going on in their lake. And they're constantly just, all they got to do is pop it out and pop a new one in. And you program the whole thing from a cell phone. It's run it's on solar power, on a solar panel. It's um, pretty low maintenance piece wow. of the equipment. I love the DNA aspect of this. So this is where you're taking your background in cancer, right. applying it to bioscience or biotech. Right. So can you talk a little bit more about the science there? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So DNA, as we all know, is kind of the blueprint, right? Or it's more like a library of blueprints that's in every cell of the body. DNA is a very stable molecule. It doesn't break down very quickly. It persists in the environment for a pretty long period of time. So we can collect DNA off of pretty much anything, particulate matter, dead skin cells. If something else eats a zebra mussel and poops it out, we can find that, all of that stuff. And then you can also measure it and figure out exactly how much. So that gives you a nice baseline. It doesn't tell you if the thing that you're reading is alive or dead, though, because DNA can float around for quite a while. RNA, if we remember our central dogma of biology, right? It's DNA transcribes into RNA. RNA is a more transient molecule. It's very fragile. It breaks down extremely quickly. And then that gets translated into protein, which does all the actual work. So the RNA, since it breaks down very quickly, if we can capture that at the source, which our technology does, then that allows us to take a snapshot of what genes are on or off at the time. Mm -hmm. So we can determine, is it alive or dead by looking at, is it metabolizing or not? And we can determine if it's if it's experiencing stress because there's all these different genes that get turned on whenever you are whenever you or a zebra mussel or anything else um, ex experiences stress mm -hmm. and there's different families obviously different species have different um, ones that they utilize but uh, the zebra mussel is a fairly simple <laughs> so it's pretty easy to just kind of figure out what it's doing and why it's doing it based on what genes are turned on and off at them at that moment. Well, I got to say, I was uh, there the night that you guys won a very big prize with Mass Challenge. Yep. So uh, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of innovation around this concept, and this 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 company is super disruptive. And so I just wanted to ask you, uh, Stefan, if you could talk a little bit more about that experience because y'all were the big winner Absolutely. that night um, for the Mass Challenge Accelerator, and you've done a lot of other accelerators in the past few years, and you're going on to do more. And it's fascinating that everybody's supporting you through this process. So Absolutely, tell us awesome. more about a fantastic that. place for that community, and, and Mass Challenge has been really great to us. It was a really great place to um, to get with mentors and and have a really good idea of how to structure our business and and be successful in terms of growing and thinking about things that we haven't really even encountered yet in terms of scaling. Getting our companies ready 
uh, for the types of things that are going to happen from here on forward, with the types of successes we're going to have. So um, it's really great to be able to be working in the accelerator environment with a disruptive technology because there's others like-minded individuals around you at all times who can help you, you know, whether it's something that you've never dealt with on a marketing perspective or right. on fundraising perspectives, you're always exposed to really great mentors and resources to be able to, to solve your problems. And so um, Mass Challenge was fantastic to be able to be part of such a large group and, you know, it's competitive. You start with 400 companies at the beginning and then uh, I think 64 accepted ultimately 84. or 84 accepted yeah. and then, um, you know, making it into the final uh, 16 and, and kind of getting to a point where, you know, you really realize that there's something big happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Mass Challenge and that win has been fantastic. They in won terms $100,000 and that's one of the biggest cash prizes. That's right. It was the largest cash prize. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. There, were, the there, were, there were two uh, $100,000 cash prizes. Those yeah. are the, that was the largest here. That's yeah. a, that says that speaks volumes to, to also how, you know, really the mentors were the ones uh, involved in, in helping select these winners. And, and I guess just you know, you've got a lot of people supporting you. Absolutely. Um, now you're working at Capital Factory. That's yep. right. Are you involved with their accelerator? We are. We are. Okay. Yeah. So we've been through a few. Um, we started out, well, when I started this, I was, you know, a scientist. I had a startup previously, but I was the white lab coat that they rolled in to talk science. That was a biopharma company. I wasn't the C-suite. So mm -hmm. I thought... I still had this kind of thought process of, oh, you make something really cool and then everybody's going to buy it because it's great and why wouldn't they? And that's not how business works at all. Right. So <laughs> I kind of had to learn that uh, along the way. And, and uh, you know, Cindy Walker Peach was a big part of pushing us to go to um, ATI's program that UT puts on called SEAL. That was the first one. That was kind of an intensive summer accelerator program. It was essentially like an MBA for entrepreneurs, but condensed into a summer. Mm -hmm. And um, that was super helpful. Uh, we met some great people there. David Altunian is one of our big advisors. Yeah. Um, he was running it at the time. Hi, David. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Shout David. out to David. Shout out to David. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, from that, uh, from there, we did Mass Challenge. And now it's, it's kind of now we're at the point where we know how to run a business quite well. It's kind of the accelerator programs now are kind of, it's just a matter of they have to be fairly hands off and mm -hmm. offer us good access to uh, funding. Right. And those are our big criteria now. So now we're part of uh, Tarmac, which is great because they've been extremely generous with us. That's a uh, social and green um, impact right. startup mm -hmm. or startup accelerator mm -hmm. um, uh, that's funded by 3M. And we're part of Capital Factory. And we just got accepted into this. Um, well, we're going to be competing to uh, to do to be. We're finalists now for this Urban Futures Prize uh, that NYU is putting on. That's a kind of breaking news that came out to, uh, yesterday that they <laughs> broke that we're one of the five finalists for our, our division. Oh my gosh! And Flatley as well. And oh yes, Flatley Innovation Center up in New Hampshire, which was John Flatley up there is a well-known biotech and commercial real estate mogul, um, and he has a um, love for startups. So we're, we're we won first prize with them also. I guess so, I, I guess we uh, we are being pretty disruptive after all. Well, and, and, and I think that speaks to your question, Heather, around what have what is our success through Mass Challenge and, and the programs that John just mentioned done for us, and it's really that national exposure, right? We've, right. we've gone from uh, trying to address the problem pro, you know, problem local to really gaining some notoriety in other places right. through that, that same accelerator, um, incubator type of a program. So it's given us a national footprint. It's right. really exciting. Right. So how was it when the story broke in Austin about the muscle issue here, that must have been just a, a huge pivot for y'all because <laughs> I think a lot of people have been explaining to them that this is going on until yeah. it actually affects their daily life. It's probably, you know, difficult to grasp. Yeah. So... 
Um, has that been a big change? Has that created a major change for you guys as far as in this market or just in general? Yeah. Kind of so every time they're in the news in Austin, it kind of hits us pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so we were doing we're raising funds through CTAN currently. And when mm-hmm. we did our um, our big showcase event the next morning, everybody woke up to disgusting smelling showers, which was not bad timing for us, but <laughs> still a terrible thing for the city. Mother Nature figured, just, right. just do me one big favor. So, right, right, happened right, today. Right. so that whole that whole day, I was just getting inundated with phone calls and emails up until like one in the morning of what do we do? Is it safe? This, that, and the other. You know, all the questions you would think to ask. And then um, Monday morning was the same thing. And then we ended up on, or Friday morning was the same thing. And then we ended up doing a whole bunch of press around it because obviously people wanted to talk about the problem. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Um, so I guess then, you know, maybe one of the couple of questions I have just completely at more of on the inspiration side is what it's like for you guys with this. I know you've started companies before you have a history in the water business and maybe you can talk more about your background too, but, um, you know, as this company being as disruptive as it is, how different, how different is it from things you've done in the past? Um, what are some of the challenges you're facing, you know, as, as, people that are trying to do something so innovative that it's almost hard to grasp because Absolutely. it's such a new technology. You know, it's a great question. And, and it's certainly something that, that we're, we're, you know, being challenged by uh, because the water industry as a whole is relatively conservative. They're tasked with providing safe, reliable drinking water at all times. And mm-hmm. any kind of disruption or uh, change in how that's done uh, is taken with great deals of caution. So uh, it is a something where you know we're really having to to visit with them and, and try to identify specifically what their problem or their solution might be to try to see how we fit in. Uh, so it's been for me very interesting. Um, I've always thought of myself as an innovator and, and pushing new ideas. So that's what's really exciting about being able to do this. But facing the industry, it's been interesting because they are so conservative in terms of implementing new technology. Right. So uh, it takes a little bit of time for right. um, even the city of Austin. You know, they uh, they're being very cautious in terms of how they're approaching the problem. And so something new takes some time to to you know integrate into the process. So that's been something that. Uh, I certainly enjoy doing that. I'm certainly bringing you know new ideas to the table. It's something I've, I've always appreciated doing, uh, and but that's been probably the big um, realization for me is that uh, we don't, from the water industry perspective, don't innovate as quickly as we probably would like to. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that said, we also have some I mean, amazing partners at federal and state agencies who we've gotten to know, and that's kind of a, you know, our our strategy early on was we realized that we had to become thought leaders in this industry for anybody to believe that what I'm coming with and saying, hey, you know, this can tech thing we can use it here they kind of look at you like oh is he a wizard no it's (laughs) science Um, but then I have to kind of go through and explain the science and talk about it show them what it can do do pilot studies that kind of thing but through that process we've made amazing friends and partnerships with Texas Parks and Wildlife U.S. Fish and Wildlife Bureau of Reclamation are doing wonderful work with us Uh, USGS has been fabulous there's a whole group called the Western Regional Panel on Aquatic Invasive Species Mm -hmm. Um, shout out to them because um uh, Elizabeth Brown that runs it, and she's also the Invasive Species Coordinator for Colorado. And uh, Leah Elwell, just fabulous work. Um, mm-hmm. And we're working on them currently to kind of write regulations around molecular sampling in our industry. Wow. Well, and that's a really good point, because I think that's that's really what we've established as, as a reputation with the regulators and people who, who do bring that kind of technology to the market so that 
in four years, the regular, you know, the federal guidelines are going to say you should be using this technology. Right. And that's what we're working mm -hmm. on, sort of the end around to where the municipalities are going to go back to the guidebook and say, what do we do? And it's going to say, use this kind of technology. Well, and, and that's not just a, a, a good business practice. That's they need to. That's absolutely it's, right. It's, that's the right. current solutions. I mean, um, these people work in ridiculously long hours and incredibly hard to try and protect our water supplies. It's just that the current technology, the current state of art is, is not up to the task. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, it's a necessity to kind of move the ball a little bit forward on the technology side um, to get this going. Uh, we're also working on a product with Bureau of Reclamation that's an actual, like, smart drug approach to just to eradicate zebra mussels and leave everything else alone. That's a longer Hall, but it's you know we have to keep moving the technology forward if we're gonna if we're gonna um, have a sustainable ecosystem and water supply going forward. And when you talk about um, invasive species, what other types of species are there to be concerned about? Lots. Asian carp is certainly one that yeah. comes to mind almost immediately. It's a national problem. Um, traditionally, for uh, invasive plants. species, we've get plants that you know, hydrilla and, and giant salmonella and, and um, salvinia, excuse me. Yep. And water um, milfoil up north is yeah, a big one. Yep. Starry stonewort, we hear about that a lot. There are invasive algaes that are attacking coral in Hawaii. There's mud snails, Asian clams. I mean, there's a list. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a, it's long a long list. list. Nutria are obviously a pain. You know, those are larger mammals, but still. Okay, so now you're you're working on this concept of you know the DNA um, based approach to um, eradicating something or preventing yeah. something. That's right. What other things could you apply this science to besides what you're doing right now? So the endangered one is kind of the one that pops up the easiest. Is this mm -hmm. idea of you know there's these endangered species, and you know it's difficult to detect a lot of them. Obviously, here in Austin we have these blind salamanders, and they live kind of in caves and groundwater supplies and you know that's why they're blind right <laughs> so how do you find those guys and and the and the, the answer is you divers with a lot of time and you don't it's not there's not a great way to really track that population because they're in places where we can't go mm -hmm. um so looking at dna and rna and things like that can get you a better understanding of not just where the population is but also how healthy is it what's it doing mm -hmm. and then we can find better ways to um to protect those endangered species yeah and there's a lot in in from business perspective there's a lot of opportunity there as well but there are tons of endangered species around the country and every riverway every freshwater resource essentially is a protected environment for endangered species hmm. so it's a massive um area uh, like i was saying you know the end goal is to kind of look at you know you've heard of may have heard of the microbiome for like gut microbiota and the human yeah. health yeah. we would consider this the macrobiome right mm -hmm. and it's but it's for environmental health so mm -hmm. the macrobiome of the of the aquatic environments or terrestrial environments are incredibly important to the health of the planet. And it's the same idea as your gut microbiota. So we want to be able to sample and figure out everything that's living in there, natives, invasives, everything, endangers, and how are they doing? How are those populations interacting? And what do we need to do as stewards of our environment to, um, to push you know, one lever one way or the other level or the other way to create sustainability? So there's, there's this big movement going on with DNA and prevention right now right. For, for health, for, you know, health of humans, health of animals, things like that. So this is more health of the environment. Absolutely. 
Very cool. Is there a term that describes this movement? Like, the, <laughs> uh, you know, awareness, uh, yeah. DNA tech, or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, wow. We, we usually get lumped into. Um, we're ostensibly a biotech company, but we usually get lumped into envirotech, clean tech, okay. something along those lines. We like to say we're a SaaS company, a science as a service company, mm-hmm. which always gets a laugh from the certain types in the the investor world. That's right. Um, as far as the movement goes, you know, a lot of this is just it's molecular sampling. It's mm-hmm. what it is. Or um, I, I, aside from that, I, I don't know if I. Well, I think there's a general. We should coin one. We should. I don't I have think, one. I agree. No, I think right we should coin okay. one. That's right. This is it. Um, <laughs> We're alive. But I think there is something around this general environmental awareness, right? There, there is a. Uh, over the last decade, there's been much more focus on what kind of an impact are we having on the environment, and um, on trying to understand baseline data. Where are we in certain um, you know, stages of our awareness around uh, pieces of the environment, particularly water and water quality? We're, we're looking at emerging contaminants, and we're starting to understand more and more about how the water quality is actually being impacted. So I think there's a, a general trend that we're sort of participating in, where there's a greater focus on trying to understand our environment, and we've got a technology to uh, easily understand that you know, and get a broader array of what, uh, what's happening. And coming back to your question around, you know, and John's answer around um, endangered species, um, native mussels are a major right. issue in our Texas rivers currently, and uh, it's something that uh, is going to significantly imp- impact the supply side of things, how, how much water is coming down the river in order to protect those habitats. And we don't understand much about those mussels, yet they're going to get listed this fall as endangered, and we don't really know what to do. Again, our technology can help characterize those, those rivers and, and let you know where and uh, what kind of condition those mussels are in. So we, f- we see a lot of application in that general awareness around what is the quality of our environment, right? So that's uh, quality, environmental quality assessment. Maybe that's the term we're, we're trying to work on, but something like that. Right. Well, I think it's awesome that you're here in Austin and launching this company. We're super excited. In Texas. And I know it's going to blow up and yeah. it's just a matter of time and um, just great to get this interview while we can because you're yeah. going to be you're going global. <laughs> well, we'll make time for you, Heather. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, this is fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity. Where can people learn more about, about you guys? Uh, so our website is eqo.life. Um, you can go there. And then um, we always are happy to take, uh, we try to be as open and accessible as possible to the Absolutely. community. Um, so send us an email through that. We have a contact uh, section on there. But again, the website's eqo.life. Um, and yeah, I think that's the best place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We'd love to come talk to you. you yeah, can check thanks. out some of our many press appearances. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Become fans of social media. Yeah, yeah. This is the best one so far. It's fine. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here, especially during South By. Um, We're just thrilled that the timing's perfect. May may you disrupt the South By. And the beautiful view, thank you. And come out of Austin with swinging. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much. And thank you to Richard's Rainwater and to Brain Juice. And to Brain Juice, again, I'm I'm so excited about this. And the Long Center for having us here today. We love your space. We want to come back. And to all of you for listening to Up and Comers. Thank you. Thank you so much again, John and Stefan. I know even after the microphones turned off today, we couldn't stop talking. I am super excited to see what your technology is going to do in the world and what's going to happen next. Appreciate you being on the show. The Up and Comers team is hosted by yours truly, Heather Wagner-Reed, produced by Mariah Gossett, and our audio and video engineer, Jake Wallace. Special thank you to Dan Dillard and everybody at the Founding Media team for your support. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you've subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. 
hey, maybe leave us a little five-star review to help other people find the show. And you can follow me personally at Juice Consulting on Instagram. That's my company. Um, For more information, the link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening.